Welcome back to The Swing Vote, a show where we present the facts and you draw the conclusions. This week will be another special episode in light of the tragic death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg recently. It is safe to say that this is one of the most momentous events in recent American history and will shape the very foundations upon which our democracy is built for decades to come. Tonight will not be a debate, but simply a discussion. Where do we go from here? It is almost certain that the Republicans will appoint a conservative justice with their control of the Senate, which will bring the Supreme Court to a decisive balance in favor of them of six to three. What happens next? I would like to uh, <clears throat> draw everyone's attention to that point in time when Antonin Scalia tragically died and President Obama, uh, then President Obama, with decades of uh, precedent, decided he would attempt to appoint a moderate Supreme Court justice under the name Merrick Garland. Mitch McConnell insisted that he would simply refuse to even hear out and give hearings to Merrick Garland. And, well, Merrick Garland, long story short, was not appointed, and Neil Gorsuch of the Trump administration was confirmed in his stead. Now, if the Republican Party were to be in any way consistent, they would clearly not confirm the um, whoever Trump will appoint and simply hold Ruth Bader Ginsburg's seat vacant until the next administration comes in, because there's actually less time between the death of the Supreme Court justice and the election than there was last time when the Republicans refused. But we know that's not what's going to happen. And with that in mind, I would like to present perhaps a more radical strategy. The truth is that there is this idea of forbearance in which a, a democracy, political parties won't try and, when they're in power, rig it against their opponents. So when Party A comes to power, they won't, you know, gerrymander so that all the districts favor them so Party B can't get back into power. This forbearance has clearly been violated by the Republicans. And I think on a certain well, level, we have to recognize that this is, that for the Democratic Party, it's no longer a matter of pretending to play nice. So while, yes, there may very well be a confirmed justice, there may be very little the Democrats can do to stop it, they should do everything they can to obstruct it, and they should constantly remind the Republicans of what they've done. Moreover, if Joe Biden is elected and finds a hostile relationship with the Supreme Court, he should move at every turn to undermine it so that he can continue uh, to make progress. Because here's the truth. Fundamentally, the Republicans have broken politics, and now they're going to get a chance to basically uh, put lifetime appointments in there they, for the first time, for the use of this strategy, appoint lifetime judges. I don't see a strategy, I don't see an out for the Democrats short of active obstruction of this behavior, because there's really no answer. It is time in America to accept that American democracy has come to a fundamental breaking point. And if the Republicans are not willing to cease in their clear uh, denial of the very democratic precedents that have been established over the course of decades, the, the, the statement, which was much decried a year earlier, that the Democratic, uh, that the democratic Party, that uh, when the Republicans go low, we should kick them, is becoming more and more true. When one party fundamentally refuses to accept political reality and uses every dirty tactic in the book to steer uh, the will of the pe- to distort the will of the people in their favor. That is when it's not a question of the marketplace of ideas or a fair competition. It is a question of ideological warfare. I have to disagree with you, Harry G, about obstructionism because ultimately, I think it is obviously comes out of a place of spite and vengeance which is definitely not care to judge an action by. From a utilitarian perspective, it does nothing. What it does is degrade our nation's political culture even more. I would like to see our nation move more towards a Westminster system where the political culture is more, you could say, gentleman, and there's more inter-party cooperation, but I'm not sure exactly how to go about that, but trying to undermine institutions, especially the Supreme Court, through obstructionism. Even if the other side is doing it, I still have my reservations about doing it ourselves. If I may respond, I will say that I would not doubt that there are plenty of reasons to have reservations about undermining key elements of our government. But on a certain level, I think when we look at the situation, this is an area where 
I'm just going to put it bluntly. I, I think this is what situation where it calls for. If we see a 63 conservative majority, Joe Biden could very well see pretty much every single one of his um, major legislative achievements reversed in the courts. Major gains made by Democrats and progressives in general can be reversed. Essentially, the, Joe, the, the Biden administration's uh, campaign promises will be dead on arrival. And knowing that the Republicans specifically exploited the Democrats, you know, sort of wish to work the system the way it's quote unquote supposed to be. And they're now willingness to bend the system and break it however they wish, not even, you know, being ideologically consistent. I think it comes to a certain point where one has to ask, what is more important? The idea that, you know, we listen to we follow these democratic norms that have already been violated and continue to be violated. Or do we save the lives of millions of poor people who this, pre- who this new conservative Supreme Court will refuse to help and strike down the Joe Biden administration's attempts to help? And I'm going to say I'm going to take, you know, expansion of food stamps, expansion of Medicare over, you know, the Supreme Court being respected in a BS, you know, violation of principle. I'm sorry. It's just that I'm going to firmly put that as a priority. I consider the American democratic system to be fundamentally under a state of emergency. It, this is... Um, what I would call the Brothers Gracchus moment of American democracy. When one faction essentially wages war against the, the, the norms of our democracy, the, the precedents which we have evolved over centuries, this, which have granted us stability and which have granted us the strength to become the sole global superpower, they, um, current government with a 6-3 majority could simply there is no pretension of unbiased, the unbiased court anymore. The 6-3 majority could simply declare every single one of President Biden's initiatives unconstitutional. Could, with a 6-3, in a single legislative, in a single legislative session, it could easily revoke 40, 50 years of decisions simply by organizing political operatives to um, to sue the court on, because the Supreme Court has long abandoned any pretensions of being impartial and unrelated to matters of policy. In the recent years, the Supreme Court has taken a very active role in shaping the, uh, in, well, in shaping the political landscape of the nation. And it is, in an, it would be very surprising if the Republicans do not take this as advantage to simply revoke as many uh, liberal reforms as possible. Roe versus Wade is obviously their first priority, but the rest will come. If we do not respond in force, this is the end of American democracy. If I may ask, Gary, I would, I would like to say, are you willing to live sort of for the concept of, you know, sort of preserving the integrity of a court, who I would argue has had its viol- Look, integrity violated long ago? Options. Are you willing to live with the revocation of Roe v. Wade, basically the possibility that the entirety of Joe Biden's campaign runs will just never be fulfilled? And that, you know, we could see things like the ACA rolled back due to being called unconstitutional. Can you live with that? Can you live with basically no progress being made until one of those Republican justices dies? I would say that we have two choices. One choice is either wait it out to try and preserve democracy as it Or the other choice is to completely deinstitutionalize, to reshape the I think there are definitely many structural issues with our nation, that obviously the founders of didn't anticipate what happened. I think reshaping our nation especially go a long way reshaping some uh, and its institutions would be beneficial to improving our political culture as However, trying to attack institutions institutionalized while also at the same time not having will completely get rid of them serves no purpose. In, in, in a more reasonable time, I would agree with you. Even under the, perhaps the most uh, radical of, of Republican uh, administrations we had since, President Reagan would not. Uh, this would not this would not be overly dangerous even in a Reagan administration when a mass appointees happened. This would not have been dangerous in a Bush administration, even in a Nixon administration. We live in a different time. We live in the age of Trump. We live in an age where the Supreme Court has no no longer believes that it should ma- maintain any, even the appearance of impartiality. If we do not, 
it is not the corruption of democracy, but the the ultimate defense of it. Because in wartime, in these times of emergency, a different set of rules is recruited. If we do not do something right now, and they maintain this majority for the next 40, 50 years, it could simply revoke every single piece of slightly left-leaning legislation put in place in the last 50 years. Well, Harry, James, I'm still not quite sure what exactly it is you propose. My propose? You oh, that's simple. I'm actually I'm glad you brought that up, Harry, because you specifically said it's concerning that you would tear down institutions without a policy proposal. But I would actually argue that it's a pretty simple thing. We should have, if we're going to have a Supreme Court, then there should be term limits, simply put. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that's the fundamental thing is that we should, exp- we should broaden the court and we should see term limits, firm term limits affixed to justice. Lifetime appointments are stupid and they have never really worked. So yeah, by broadening, by what I would propose the, is... the court and creating, uh, making it, a, you know, having a uh, term limit, I think it would be far more effective and far more representative of the will of the people rather than just having a bunch of really, really strangely conservative people being tossed up on the court because, you know, one administration got really lucky and a bunch of justices died during while they were in power, and so now the country can't pass any progressive legislation for the next 50 years. I think that's a better solution. But I would propose... What I would actually propose is a perfectly balanced Supreme Court. I don't mean like a four and four, but a theoretically ideologically balanced court in which therefore, um, in which there will be four liberal-leaning justices, four conservative-leaning justices, and one chief justice who is generally expected to maintain at least the appearance of impartiality. The most enlightened of all the centrists. Yes, the ultimate <laughs> But The omnicentrist. Of course, um, I think this removes the strangely large amount of control the presidency has over the Supreme Court. Because... Uh, Maybe a hundred years ago, the Supreme Court would have been a separate institution. The appointees would not have been politically motivated. But in this day and age, they very much are politically motivated. Even, um, even the late Ruth Bader, uh, even the late Justice Ginsburg, which I will sing my praises of, she was definitely slightly ideologically motivated. How do you propose that these justices be chosen? Obviously. Elected would be a interesting perspective. What I would uh, propose is a list of candidates drafted by an impartial commission that is then put to a popular vote. God, you do love your sort of so impartial like, entities. Try and make the court well, more I mean, impartial by electing. Well, the amount of the amount of partisans it can have is living fundamentally but institution i propose what do you define as liberal and conservative i mean what does that even mean because those definitions change for example i mean it was pretty like a firm plank of the democratic party was sort of not being for gay marriage for a very long time and then but i would it all of a sudden it was but but what i am essentially proposing is that um essentially uh since america will practically never shift away from a two-party system in the the foreseeable future that each party selects a select amount of judges they want on the court, and there will be allotted four slots, and their candidates will be voted on by the people. Okay, but like, I wait, wait. How do you guarantee, like, I, so the so the party chooses, so the party will choose four candidates, or how many candidates will they choose? The party will choose can well. It depends how many can, however many candidates they want on the ballot. Well, but I mean, like, so what if what if fundamentally, say, hear me out, fundamentally, right? so there's a Democratic mega donor part, who ha- who really really wants to get in on the Supreme Court. So the Democratic Party just nominates one guy, and it's him. So it's like if there's one vacancy on the liberal wing, then no one gets a choice. I mean, this one dude. If the people back the extra, fine. Let's just use Michael Bloomberg. Say there's a vacancy on the Supreme Court, and Mikey Bloomberg really wants to get in. He'll still have to win the popular vote. Wait, Against so, who? So, so what I thought you said the party appoints them all. So, so what? So what you're telling me, Jason, is that there's it's not only another election, right? So these candidates for justices, what's going to stop them from running as far left or right as they possibly can to get elected 
which eliminates your your proposal of oh we're gonna have uh the fairest justices some conservative leaning some liberal leaning and what's gonna happen with this chief justice guy yeah who chooses the chief justice because that's a good question because if it's the people who choose the chief justice well then it's just basically another presidential election again and that, oh, that justice is chief... going to be running as far left or right as he possibly can to get elected. Well, the chief justice, very importantly, is selected by an impartial commission. And yes, How, what the... is this commission? What commission? Please, I want specifics. I don't know what commission you consider to be impartial. Commissions but... like the ones that draw congressional districts. Yes, yes. While well, we can I mean, all genuinely, point... if you're going to build your, all if your point... entire structure of the court is built on this completely impartial God, you know, he's ascended beyond the plane of you know emotion. He only sees the facts. But like, while we, while we can, the, while we can all point to who chooses the, uh, while, of the court? while we can all point to the districting committees as examples of blatant committee partiality, or had there have been examples especially in budgetary commissions and in other commissions, where the commission has been fairly impartial. The assumption that all commissions must fundamentally be very, very partisan is false. Yeah, you, commission... would you haven't described have what this your commission... Like a lot of power to this commission will not be comprised of theory. congressmen. They will, be, they will be comprised of legal experts who will select the... So lawyers... Uh, Oh, lawyers? Like, okay, so, like, for example, I can say the same thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to choose, don't worry, the next, the next head of the Fed will be chosen by my crack team of economists, but I'm a conservative, but I'm a Republican, so I'm going to choose only people from the University of Chicago who insist that the Great Depression only happened because the Fed mismanaged monetary policy. Uh, yeah, they're economists. They are actual economists. I, I, like, I acknowledge that, but again, here's an alternate suggestion. We must insulate the justice system entirely from the other two branches. Let the uh, entire court system be re reorganized on a system of ascending up the system through seniority. So, for example, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? If, there's vacancy, if there's a vacancy on the circuit court, can we get, then the can we get a gavel kind Supreme Court? Um, then the most senior <laughs> state Supreme Court justice in the circuit will ascend to that position. In the same way for the Supreme Court, the most senior circuit court judge will ascend court that doesn't seem to solve the problem though fundamentally that the supreme no. court is constantly left behind by america like i mean it, jason's it plan at least occasionally had cakes and cows like i'd argue my plan is obviously the best because it has term limits so these people will leave after a while but like harry your plan basically says that like you have to first of all you have to work your way up which is not a guarantee and let's be honest the system is hardly impartial so it's not exactly like the best judge is always but moreover what so like you would have to have a ton of seniority to get out of the Supreme Court. So every time a new Supreme Court justice came to power, you know, came into position, they would be probably 20, 30 years behind the country when it comes to most opinions because they're very well, old. I think that issue isn't necessarily with the Supreme Court. It's just with the power we give the Supreme Court because of the, how onerous the process it is. Wait, you're saying we should limit the powers of the Supreme Court? Are you saying undermine the Supreme Court, Harry? No. In some no, ways... No, 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 we can't or, do that. Allow, allow me to speak. Now... It's a very onerous process to amend the Constitution. Three-fourths of state legislatures and Congress, which in this current state is never going to happen. So essentially, the job of rewriting the Constitution is left entirely to the Supreme Court. I would personally like to see um, amendments of the Constitution uh, approved by simply a simple majority vote of the population or something along those lines, which would ease the process. And I would imagine that this we would need to rely on uh, that Supreme Sure, Court that, that provides the reasoning for your plan. If you fiat that there will be another amendment first to to accept your referendum amendment on amendments. Um, but well, all you've done is not, like make the Supreme Court less important. You haven't solved the fundamental problem. Yeah, I mean. It, what, you, well, you've made it's no longer a malignant time you've made amendment you decisions that don't really I mean I guess but you just kind of amended the majority it out of, of America and if you move that power with if you make it so the majority of Americans power within their hands to amend the Constitution on their own the Supreme Court have to do that it, it, it becomes unnecessary uh, hold on. Well, hold on. You're proposing the elimination of the Supreme Court? Uh, that, sorry, that was a little bit ambiguous. I mean, the job of constant interpretation for the Supreme Court becomes... Okay, so you're, uh, saying, so you're saying all constitutional amendments are now voted on by the general population? 
based there yes. long. I don't know what to say. Amendments proposed. Uh, okay, uh, but what about the other jobs of the? What about the other jobs? What about the legislation? If you're if you make the people vote on every single case, the Supreme Court hears one. There's a lot of elections, and two, you're basically having them vote for representatives uh, all over. Well, I don't think you quite understand what I'm. The Supreme Court does have the power of constitutional interpretation, but for very important cases, like for example Roe versus Wade, Citizens United. I would imagine that the majority of Americans have pretty strong opinions on that. And with those most important cases, I would imagine that a referendum would probably be held on those cases. So the Supreme Court retains the power of constitutional interpretation. It's simply that, in effect, that power is lessened because the people have the power to propose to amend the Constitution more easily. And as for the legislature, well, like, even in Switzerland, where they have plenty of referendums, they still have a legislature. The people can't vote on everything. Oh, the Swiss. Powers in tandem with well, unfortunately, we can't have Swiss die direct democracy. But, but one must ask. Uh, I mean, like fundamentally. So, so you said okay. So, if I'm if I'm following here, the Supreme Court will not be able to amend the Constitution. That will that right will go to the idea of a direct referendum of the, uh, the power of the people. So the Supreme Court will just lose a lot of its influence, but if it can't amend the Constitution, can it still declare something unconstitutional? Because... Well, it has the right to... It, it still remains uh, able to interpret the Constitution. And, so, but they can strike down Roe v. Wade. What you're telling me is that your solution does not stop them from striking down Roe v. Wade. I want to cut to the chase here. But ultimately, they're still... This makes them subject, ultimately, to referendum because if, say, a referendum changes oh, the Constitution, then their interpretation becomes moot. So but, like, oh, but okay, so like, let's talk about Roe v. Wade. So who who brings the referendum forth? Does there have to be like a majority? Like, how do we decide when the referendum is held? So let's say they roll back Roe v. Wade, but then because the okay, well, Americans support okay, well, it, no, 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 no. Let me let me finish. Let's Jason, not please, get let me finish. I want to ask this question: Who decides never, when the referendum is held? Is it the people? I mean, Harry, slow down. You're talking at debate speeds. Shit. Listen, I'm asking a pretty blunt question, which is that you you specifically said that okay, I'm not going to really fix the Supreme Court, but I'm going to you know give them the check of of the people being able to vote. But who decides when a referendum? was held if the supreme court rolls back roe v wade and we people want to amend the constitution place for holding initiatives and referendums on a state level you know uh, have a petition and get a, a certain petition? number of signatures bro okay, well, what i, I think <laughs> what? i think i think well, hold on what we amend the constitution when enough people sign on change.org no, no well like for example if you want to propose an initiative or referendum to be on the ballot in washington state you have to get i think it's like two percent of the people who voted in the last gubernatorial election to sign your petition. And you go around with a piece of paper and people sign your petition and then you present to the Secretary of State and they confirm all the signatures and then the referendum will be on the ballot next November. Same thing. Hold on. Like the You're whole country? Yeah. Okay, so, so you're essentially... You're giving the... Okay, sure, but this does... This does, I would, I admit that that does sound like a decent process for more, for a better system of amending the constitution. But what about the other stuff? Because as you know, the, the, um, the Supreme Court doesn't really do much of the whole ruling over amendments thing anymore. It mostly does the ruling over whether a legislation is constitutional or not. And your plan doesn't really change the disaster scenario. I'm not even going to pick Roe v. Wade. I think that's a slightly more partisan than most. But let's just say that um, the new Republican Supreme Court decides internally to revoke all of the Great Society programs. No more welfare, no more health care, um, nothing. Okay, well, then next November, the people get up a petition and they pass constitutional amendments. Uh, these mm -hmm. laws are constitutional. And the Supreme Court's ruling is hold on. So you're going to you're going to have essentially you're going. This is just an extension of the. This is just an extension of the legislature. You're simply you're basically proposing. You're, you're basically proposing direct democracy over legislation. Basically, what I'm saying is we retain something similar to our current system, but we have a referendum of the people be the ultimate source of power, having the referendum of the people be able to override anything. In this case, this limits uh, the power of the court and places a check on it. 
Right. But, so thousands no. will die until next November. But what if that, what if they, so what if it's specifically targeted? So let's say, for example, the Supreme Court is super conservative and they want to roll back, like all the great society programs. And so they do it really early on in that Republican president's term. And then they spend a lot of money, boatloads of money on a tag ad about how we don't actually need them. And they engage in voter suppression. Then, like, your referendum, which is subject to all the ills that have affected American democracy, could very well be run under. So, like, that seems like you seem to have a lot of some generous assumptions are made on the behalf of American democracy. While I believe in the importance of popular sovereignty, even the founders admitted, even the most, uh, the most liberal, most populist of them admitted that the Supreme Court, the judiciary, should be a body fundamentally isolated, uh, somewhat from. The um, how do I say it? the political whims of the age um, that are reflected in the legislature and in the presidency already. The Supreme Court that I have proposed it may not be perfect, but it at least it provides that layer of separation. Uh, even the founders, even most the founders, most, uh, wow, even the most popular yeah. of the founders appeal to authority. Made. Just you know, you know the typical shit. Well, there is a room somewhere for authority before you start accusing me of fallacies. Anarchism. Anyways. Dab, dab, dab. Anyways, I think there should be some degree of, uh, while I believe in popular sovereignty, there should be some isolation between the judiciary and the whatever political whims are uh, you know, popular at the period. Those are already reflected in the presidency and the judiciary. That's two branches. There must be some room for a relatively unbiased body. Frankly, I don't the problem. The, for one, the presidency isn't really a perfect reflection of the people. I mean, it's yeah. frankly quite bad because the people don't get to vote on specific policies. Just once every four years, they get to choose which one of two people they hate the least. Okay, so and, we're... Okay. Also, okay. wait, I might have a question about for you, Jason. So I want to I actually flesh out your plan. So basically, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on any of the details. So... There's, so there are four positions each for sort of the um, political parties, left and right. And then there's one, you know, in big brain, enlightened centrist, chief justice. And so let's say one on the left dies. So presumably the Democrats are still the party on the left. And so then the Democrats go down a list of people and they appoint one person who is then voted on by the people for a lifetime term? Well, uh, what, the Demo- what the Democrats would do is that they would select a list of candidates and then the What's people them will... from electing like one, like a really weak list of candidates, like one really strong one and then a bunch of weak ones because they owe that one guy a bunch of favors because he donated a bunch. I mean, if the people approve of it, then sure. But right. But what if, I... what if it's like Mike Bloomberg and he spends a billion dollars on his campaign and then it's like Joe, well, one term representative I... in the house of Congress. I think like, Mike okay. Bloomberg showing in the elections very clearly proves that you cannot, Simply buy votes. Okay, but like, let's be clear here. Mike Bloomberg had was competing against large campaigns. I'm talking about like one term. Like, what if Mike Bloomberg ran against like Joe Schmo, one time uh, representative from Pennsylvania? You know, like clearly, you can admit that the parties would just be able to rig this in favor of whoever wanted, which would mean that the idea that it would you know be more representative of the people is not at all true. Just means it would be more representative of the party interests. So if the party big donors had like one guy they owed a bunch of favors, then they might run a really weak list of candidates and run a you know a massive a a motherload of ads. Uh, backing the guy, and then all of a sudden it's pretty much over. And but, the pool, yes, that's but it. Rem- you have to remember that this is the flaw. This is a flaw. The same. The current system is equally susceptible. So to because it. the current system is flawed, we should you know build no, a new system because, that's flawed no, in the same way. No, simply because for the past two hundred years, even with uh, even with Trump, he has at least picked people with legislative experience. Even Justice Kavanaugh, you know. I love beer five times in an interview. Have you, I don't know, he, have you blacked out, Senator? Even he is an experienced district judge. For the 200 years, for the 200 years past, the parties have seen, I think, to have seemed to exercise at least somewhat uh, de- decent judgment in selecting their candidates, okay, despite well, their political motivation. Let me ask you a question. Right now, this GOP, like right now, today, if your system was implemented and there was a vacancy on the GOP side, what would stop Trump from leaning on the GOP to nominate Donald Trump Jr.? Well, provided the Republican provided the uh, Republican base votes for Donald Trump Jr. They would, they would, they totally would. So, 
Yes, you're going to put Donald Trump Here's in the Supreme Court. Here's a question, question I think yet to address. Uh, we often see uh, the in regions even... around the country where they have elected judges is that a big problem is before their election, they tend to ramp up sentences a lot and they run ads about law and order, which unfairly distorts the sentence because the people, it shouldn't matter whether you got sentenced like five days before election, you should still hold on, get but, but a sentence, people, the same sentence people... as someone who did the same crime. These people you know, are not holding campaign. But these, why but would these, this not happen with a Supreme Court judge? These are, but these people are not holding campaigns. They have, you said <clears> they would be elected by the people. They would have. Would be elected by the people, people, but they'd run ads, wouldn't they? I mean, they have to. That's just how American politics works, and you've admitted this is going to try and fit within the current system. Why do you think the American public is just going to see a bunch of names on on a on a ballot and say, "Ah, oh, Joe Schmo looks funny. I'll vote for him." <laughs> exactly. I mean, they sort of do That's that how you choose your Supreme Court, ladies and gentlemen. They okay. do that for local Also, wait, do all the wait, so like does does conservative America vote on the liberal judges? So like can like some random um, you know, far right Republicans say, ah, you know, I don't could they like they could tip the balance therefore and the whole idea of like creating one that's representative of liberal America, well, unless you're gonna discriminate against Republicans in voting for liberal justice and vice versa, that's not gonna be representative of liberal America or conservative America. That's just gonna be representative of both of America's constantly fighting, going at each other's throats. Yeah, the way, and also, the way you have to avoid that fact, was that you could, is if uh, whichever party had a vacant seat, you, the only people who would be allowed to vote for a brand new uh, senator would have to be people who are either registered Democrats or Republicans. And that's simply not a majority of the nation. Yeah, that's the, the point that some Supreme Court, I mean, that's not democracy. You lose a lot of your democracy. When you have when you discriminate for only registered party voters, I mean, well, another reservation that I have is this is essentially institutionalizing the position of the Democratic and Republican parties in the law of the land. And that just further reinforces the two party system, which we can all agree is pretty bad. If we are going to somehow magically law. Well, if we can magically move away from the entrenched two-party system we have maintained for the last 250 years, then I will fully concur. But that doesn't seem to be happening anytime soon, within the next century or two. I mean, that's like saying, I, you know what, we're probably not going to end poverty in the next century or two, so I just won't design any anti-poverty campaign. I'll just throw my hands oh. up. Like, I'm sorry, Jason, oh. but just because there's there a are, problem there's concrete doesn't mean we should design there's our con- institutions to work around it and fix that problem. Even if we can't solve it, that right. we, we need to design our institutions to defeat the two-party system, which was maintained by popular sovereignty. And how would you Well, there's the difference making- between fighting the two-party system and actively entrenching it in the law. Nobody like, has been... Nobody has been... Nobody has... No legislation so far has... In the last 250 years, the America, America has, with no restrictions upon the establishment of a third party or anything, simply maintained two parties. Oh, that's not true. Well, I mean, the fact that the parties would splinter at various points. System, and you can sure. reform that. The what does Democrats not help Democrats, but... is just putting it, it's just enshrining into law. You don't say, well, you know, we got this problem and it seems like it'd be pretty hard to solve, but we could solve it. But no, let's just go the other way and enshrine it into our. Oh, but with a problem like poverty, there's concrete action you could take. But what concrete action are you going and to take? And there's concrete action we can do to change our political system. We can, concrete uh, for action example, part of the government we can do to Westminster the democracy. There party. are plenty of democratic political systems that work that uh, disincentivize two parties. I have, I, <clears throat> I certainly have no quarrels with a multi-party democracy. I think it's better than a two-party system. But the problem is that you're going to somehow going to ex- us well, upset the two-party titans that we have. In Jason, we've been fiatting a lot today. I'm sure we can fiat a move to Westminster parliamentary democracy. So many have tried. None have succeeded. Also, um, I just have to ask, um, just like off the cuff, about your sort of like enlightened centrist. Um, uh-huh. yes. What about on issues where like the right and the left don't, where one of them doesn't have a valid point? Like, then what? Uh, then you just have point. someone who bends over backwards to appease a side that's wrong. So, like, if tomorrow Blair. the Democrats said the sky is purple and we're going to legislate it, would the deadline oh. be like, "Well, I think we need to see both sides"? So well, I'm going to rule that it's raise, only kind char- of purple. 
Your your characterization. Once again, I don't think you've answered the your question. How is this enlightened your, centrist chosen? Well, your characterization of my proposed chief justice as an enlightened centrist, I don't think. That's literally your entire point. You literally said, I'm going to, in your own words, a perfectly balanced court with four liberals, four conservatives, and one person in the middle. That's literally what the whole point is. But again, I but ask you, in I'm a political system where the Republican Party just regularly violated democratic norms, half their policy positions blatantly don't work, I don't want a fucking centrist. I don't. You know, I don't want a centrist. I want someone who's going to pay attention to the facts. I want to be, I don't want someone who's going to bend over backwards to appease both parties and get this bizarre both sides and that plagues our democracy to this day. And again, we've been over this, Jason. Uh, I asked you before, but I'll ask you again. Whoever this enlightened uh, middle vote is, whoever this swing vote is, if you will, uh, uh-huh. let, let's just say, again, they're going to have to run a campaign if they're going to be elected. Okay, hold on, no. As I said, as I said the, the Chief Justice will be selected by a team of legal experts. Okay, wait, so, the, so my Supreme Court's super democratic, except for, like, the really only important one, the only important decision that will ever swing votes, because, you know, the liberals will always vote liberal, and the conservatives will always vote conservative, but the only actually important one will be in, elected by this commission. A commission, I've not described how it will be chosen, a commission that I've not described, I've not described anything, they just will be chosen. So, like, the democracy is a formality, because it's just the left, the right, they have their four justices, they always vote the same way, and the one person who actually makes the decision isn't well, responsible to the people in any way. If you assume that the liberal bloc constantly votes liberal, you always, but... I mean, sure. yeah, they're they're beholden to the Democratic Party. They got... So it's pretty reasonable to assume. I mean, like, generally speaking, that's how it has worked in the past. I mean... And what, wouldn't, this, sort of? wouldn't this swing vote guy have to run, like, donors and and fundraisers for whichever party he wants to appeal to? Exactly. This, the enlightened centrist position will be in, very, very competitive. How are you going to keep it actually nonpartisan? I mean, this shadowy commission, like, are you going to do? Oh, ooh, he's going to do a Leninism vanguard party. The vanguard party of secret, <laughs> the secret cabal will choose who the enlightened centrist is, and they will make that clandestine action. But no one else can know. No one can know who chooses the chief justice. They are hidden. Their identities are hidden. By day, they are regular representatives in the government, CEOs, bankers. But by <laughs> night, they decide the future of the country's judiciary. I mean, it, it's so it, it's so incredibly flawed. Because again, this guy who presumably the uh, the the United States public will not know as much about as the people inside the party, correct? So, and what's keeping this swing judge from being really, really liberal or really, really conservative? Because if you just do that, we're back to square one. Well, they'll be selected by again a commission of two hundred uh... legal experts. Who are the legal experts? Who chooses the legal experts? Lawyers, guys. Lawyers. I love lawyers, man. Never biased. Lawyers are famously impartial. If the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. You must acquit. As I have stated, the Congressional Commission will select 200 judges, oh, well, judges and other legal ah, experts. Yes. So it is Congress. Congress, Congress does choose. You're like, oh, yeah, Congressional Commissions, they can be real biased, but not my commission, which is chosen by Congress. That Wait, hold on. Biased. I just, I, I argued not even 20 minutes ago that not every Congressional Commission has to be as horrifically biased as the gerrymandering committees. Yeah, yeah but, not but this everyone, is a really important one. Plenty of them are very, very biased. How do you ensure that this one stays unbiased, especially in today's political climate, and especially with something so important as this? Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Uh, again, say? like most congressional, well, unlike most major congressional commissions, they will be made up of a balanced. I'm not like the other guys. No, I'm saying like most major congressional commissions already have a system where they are balanced between the two parties. Okay, but like, so, what if? But what happens if like? Okay, so I'm. So I'm what I'm hearing is that this candidate is chosen by the party elite. Yeah. So like, Pelosi and McConnell and Schumer, um, are going to make the choices, all the choices, and your whole pretensions to democracy by electing the other four or the other eight just mean nothing because they will always vote the same because they're all appointed by one of the two parties. So, I mean, yeah, sure, but that's, elite makes but that's what we have and said. And we reinforce our oligarchy. We entrench on, not only the two-party system, but oligarchy in our constitution, and specifically on, the judiciary. Hold on, but for the last 100 years, <clears throat> the, the Supreme Court candidates have been chosen by partisan 
That's yeah, not a good thing, Jason. That's just not because good. it's been there. I'm, I'm saying I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying is that not much has come of that. You don't have the you don't have the disaster scenario you two are proposing. We haven't seen that until now. Oh, but, so, because, so yeah, because it's not the absolute worst possible scenario, and because it's supposedly either just as bad or slightly better than what we have now. Therefore, we choose your system. Yeah, I, have to say, like, I think it's you don't pretty clear system. that my system of seniority is it's not perfect, but it's hold on. Miles but Harry, just Harry Bong fundamentally Harry. breaks the system. Mine has either you has preserve been... a flawed system. I don't understand what's your point. Like, you know what? Why, I, don't... I make, my, I make minor improvements, I make minor improvements in on a flawed we don't system. have time for minor improvements. But I reform swear to God, is not inherently like better than revolution. Re your the system as it is constituted now, I think, is inherently bad because it is inherently your political. system by changing to a seniority-based system. Is effectively you remove politics. Your hold on, but 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 your system one doesn't reflect any political realities, and two, it's it it fundamentally limits the power of the Supreme Court to a degree where. It cannot hold back the two other branches anymore. The balance is broken. You know, I think when the Harry, world is Harry... literally on but fire. But you give power to. When you well, when the literally on fire, and your your chief justice strikes down climate reform, or says, okay, so the Democrats may be proposing you know hundred billion, but the Republicans are proposing are proposing one billion, so we'll meet them in the middle and we'll give them fifty billion, and the world on, ends Harry. because your legislators wouldn't do anything. And also, I would that this does not affect the Supreme Court's relative power because all three branches essentially have an equivalent amount of power stripped to them and given to the people. Hold on, Harry. We have been focusing on the other two perspectives, but how will your system of just more term limits solve the existing flaws with the system that go much deeper than just how much time they are on the court well but how much time they're on the court is a, probably one of the largest it's not issues term, because... it's not term limits is what i mean is completely depoliticizing it because mm -hmm. Harry, be i understand no, referring to my solution i'm going to say right off all the bat judges and oh, just referring to my and eventually get to the supreme court no okay, politics so... there is no choice there is no politics involved because it's simply uh, a basic formula for right. who goes while I form. at least maintain some semblance of democracy, Harry proposes a complete move to oligarchy. Uh, no, Why you does move the to, judiciary wait, 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 wait. need to be related? The judiciary should not be democratic. The judiciary is about impartiality, not Harry about politics. Off on his, it should like, not uh, be he's democratic. He's off on his Plato's Republic kind of. Yeah, hold on. You know, Harry, have that. But you're Harry, referring to the two-party system, so it's kind of ironic that he's uh, calling the kettle black here. I mean, I don't know. Oh, wait, hold on, no. Harry, Harry H., you're, you're proposing effectively making the matter of amendments highly popular uh, decided and making the judiciary entirely isolated. I don't think yes. that's a good idea. I think Can that I the explain? judiciary should remain somewhat accountable to the people. And I at least maintain and the a judiciary is of accountable to the people because if the judiciary makes a constitutional interpretation the people disagree with, the people can hold a referendum to, uh, right. to make a constitutional amendment to overturn right. that. Right, a direct, a, a direct democratic referendum on the specific legislation, which there will be hundreds of, the, the, just the logistics of this make it impossible. Okay, for one, unlike the airlifts, for one, Oh I'm not God. suggesting that the people hold referendums in every single case that the Supreme Court holds. What I'm suggesting is if there's a oh, Supreme so Court case that they can make all kinds of egregious decisions. If but there, but the people will only get to vote on the most egregious ones. I see. I'm That's true. Well, no, no, classic, no. What classic I'm saying is, if, people, if big, there really is you know, a political will, will there for that, people really don't like this this single Supreme Court decision, then people will get up a petition, get the necessary signatures, and get it on the ballot. If people don't care, if it's like about the Supreme Court now has decided that uh, gas taxes can't be above $2.50 a gallon or something, you know, and the people really don't care, right. then it's fine. The people Again, won't get up. you're depending on the power of popular petition, which we have, which we have noted in the past, is because a lot of people will dislike something, but they won't say Jim shit because, well, but they won't say anything. going to keep this a PG show because they simply don't feel they have the enough political power. So are you just going to silence their voices simply because they can't pull together two million votes? How exactly is that? I don't, I frankly, I don't see how that's silencing their voice. And also, I don't see how this is specific. Supreme Court decides on hundreds I see this of cases as a general each year. Democracy. So only, so... 
only if the people petition. What if I, okay, so let's just say I revoke Roe versus Wade. That's probably going to distract most people's attention for at least a good. And while they're doing their whole legislative process, I just, oh, I'm like, okay, all right. Other small essential laws, you're gone now. I can I can get yes, rid of one. I I, this is for one a general critique against democracy as a whole, and also pretty easily fixable if we cultivate a more politically active populace. Okay, but Harry, yeah, that's, 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 that's a big fiat. That, nah, Harry, that's a big Harry, fiat. Come on. This is this is the I'm going to fix racism fiat. Like, yeah, I think we America would be a far, far, far better place. Than hey, uh, let me just drop that. But that's a big but fiat. I don't think the Supreme Court is going to be able to sneak through a decision. <laughs> I think it's that's been, it's been plenty. Remember when they got rid of the voting right, voting's right, uh, voting rights act? That was fun, you know. The Supreme Court isn't going to be able to sneak through an actually controversial decision. That is not going to happen. I, yeah, I'm not even going to debate this one. I'm just going to fiat that the Supreme Court is not going to be if able to you, sneak through you a ask, controversial decision. That is such a ludicrous. That is such a ludicrous. The average. Well, if you ask even like a very highly educated American, if you ask, uh, if you ask like if you ask like a history teacher right, right now or a constitutional law scholar, I bet even they cannot tell you what. Was what important stuff was done in the latest Supreme Court session? I, I have an inviting faith that there is some person out there American that reads all the Supreme Court stuff and will and will sound the alarm if there really is something controversial in there. Something we really, can extend your logic. Really, who, who, who will sound the alarm, Harry? Who will sound the alarm? Who knows? You know, the legislature could just pass a really controversial law, distract all the people, and then sneak through a law uh, establishing a ginarchy. Who knows? Oh, Who knows what they could do? No, but hold on. Remember, nobody pays. It's, nobody pays that much attention. You're paying. You're you're putting far too much faith in the American people. The American people are very democratically active, but come on. I mean, you're relying I, I, on them to have an unrealistic amount of knowledge about what exactly. What do we like? Do we have like do we have state media that announces entered in today Supreme Court session? You're essentially assuming that everybody turns into C-SPAN. Bro, we should okay. That's a great. When, that's, no, no, okay. no. Harry's Hall. Well, let's consider this, Jason. If the only who uh, actually station available on any American TV is C-SPAN, there you go. Instant problem solved. Oh look, let's think about it. Who actually watches C-SPAN? We don't get our oh, news right. from C-SPAN. I watch C-SPAN, but we still know about controversial okay. stuff. Course, Harry, the legislature does because it gets picked up in the media. And I have my doubts that if the Supreme Court does something really controversial. No journalist in the entire United States is going to find out about it. Ah, uh, yes. Trust corporate media to handle our democracy. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I, would, I don't trust them that much, but I trust them to not, to not just drop I trust, a juicy I trust them fully to report on what very they, important... What if they make it unconstitutional? To, to like, trust, tax corporations above 1%. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's okay, they got on, a conflict but, of interest there. Hold on, but again, there are two problems with that assumption. One... Remember that the media is very easily distracted by big ticket items. And two, even if it gets a mention, these minor bills will be on, to use a traditional newspaper metaphor, which nobody uses anymore, they'll put, they'll put it on page three next to the confidentials. Come on. Okay. Once again, let me try and extend your analogy. Once I'll go back to the legislature because I don't think your analogy, your response there was satisfactory. Who reads the minutes or the records of the U.S. Senate or the U.S. House of Representatives. No one does. But yet, we still know when they do something controversial. Do we? Generally Ooh. speaking, but the vast majority of the American public is generally, most of our legislature is pretty unaccountable compared to, like, if you track what the wishes of the people are compared to what legislation is enacted, and then you ask those people, do you think the legislature, and then, you know, we can clearly see the legislature does not follow the will of the people. And then they say, do you think the will of the people is being followed? They'll be like, eh, not as much as I'd like, but probably. Frank, yeah, we so, like, hear, yeah, we hear no, about the big bills. People just don't care a lot about a lot of bills, but, like, but the legislature isn't going don't... to be able to sneak through something like the ACA without anyone hearing about it. Sure, nobody would be able to sneak through the ACA, but what about, you know, dam protections, levee protections, storm protections for, you know, <clears throat> for New Orleans? What if they're just costing too much money and Republicans think it's too big government? And he just says, no more levies for New Orleans. And okay. Is, okay, you know what? Let, let's accept this premise. How does, your, how does your thing solve this? The Enlightened Center says we only cut half of the levies funding. Obviously, that's how it's solved. 
how does your system solve this? Okay, let's just say that the the in my scenario, the forge one, there is the assumption that if we take the best case scenario, the justices will accept that the levy system leaves well, New Orleans very vulnerable to a fucking hurricane. But so much if for we PG. very vulnerable <laughs> to a hurricane. But okay, even on the most pessimistic side, let's assume that every single justice is a straight back card carrying party crony and they just do whatever the party wants them to what would make there you think is. that except for the whole point that they literally can't get appointed without the party's help well i mean why why exactly would your justices who are literally corp uh, political hacks not try to s slip through as much legislation oh, as much you know again for, people for don't 200 want, years but... for 200 years we have had this the exact system well have no. had the, have the exact same political limitations upon who is appointed, and the justices, despite the fact that they have been very ideologically balanced and stuff, especially in recent years, they are by no means political hacks. Your system literally turns them into political hacks that are chosen by the party. Yeah, literally, they cannot. So they're chosen by the party and then accountable to the people, but the party can choose who they run against. So, like, again, you still haven't answered how the party couldn't just take one really strong candidate stacking up against a list of weak candidates because they owe him a bunch of political favors. So, like, a big donor could just pull in a bunch of favors and get on the Supreme Court in your system. If the people vote for it, if that's their popular point. <laughs> but if he's the only one running ads... But it's like, not okay, really their actually, choice classic, because they don't choose who they get to choose for. Yeah, Wait, no, hold I on. Say, I want to oh, say that because, on. like, Jason, this is a classic thing. You will get a ton of credit in the party if you run a losing campaign to make it look stronger. So, like, for example, a lot Wait, of hold modern, on. So, so, wait, so you're, so you're proposing... got a ton of cred for dropping out and endorsing Joe Biden. That's the kind of stuff. What if you have some sort of like, oh, we're going to run, make it look competitive, but, you know, make sure you don't win. Wait, That's an easy but, way. But, but stronger, but obviously there's going to be protections against that. Michael Bloomberg couldn't just pour a bunch of money into it because our current political system is, you know. What protections? What protections, yeah? You haven't mentioned any protections be, up to now. Yeah. Campaign funding limits upon how much they can spend. Campaign funding limits? Like Since the what? ones that the Supreme Court overturned with Citizens United? You know, Jason, I'm not, I, you know, if I were Justice Bloomberg, I don't think I'd be <laughs> so amiable to overturning Citizens United. Again, I, I think if we're going to make any kind of modification to the American political system, overturning Citizens United is kind of a, you know, because... Who's gonna do this? A fiat, you mean? Yeah, it's a fiat. All of this. So why is can't fiat. we fiat the fact that my justices aren't conniving, conniving scoundrels who are trying to get the better of the people at every opportunity and sneak through as much Wait, hold stuff on. as possible? Right, but right, but uh, right now we do have a very politicized court, as you know. This is no longer a fiat. This is a reality. But my system is not a politicized court. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, Actually, I you resolved in the court. Yours, Jason, because instead of it coming down to five to five to seven people, it comes down to one. Yeah. What if in you're light centers? What like what happens if like the commission gets it wrong? Because like let's be honest, there's a chance. Like what if they he's a super perfect candidate, but he just really hates black people? So like, <laughs> do you have any protections if the chief justice like goes off and in his opinion writes off like I hate them, I hate them so much, I hate women, I just I despise them, I see them and I'm filled with you know, I'm unconsolably angry whenever I see a woman. Like you have no protection against that if they're not chosen, okay. Right, if, if you get it if wrong, the, what if happens? The... <laughs> If the extreme racism somehow doesn't show up in his record, then sure, I'll know. If, oh, and also if, another point. If, 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 a justice, if a justice somehow sneaks through the entire exhaustive review process, which goes over his entire background, and he has never said a racist thing in his entire life, except on the Supreme Court, then sure. But then you're assuming something fundamentally impossible that oh, a racist oh, person. Oh no, but Jason, Jason, what? That's that's a big difference. There's a difference you're between just assuming that a racist person has never said a racist thing mm. in the record. Okay, you, wait. Since when was the commission going to hold them to the standard of never said a racist thing in their entire life? I mean, there have been many policies well, that are pretty racist. Stuff. Gonna, you say that this commission is chosen by Congress. Right? It's a congressional committee. Congressional committees are chosen yeah. by the by the leaders of Congress. You know, by the majority leaders, which mm -hmm. hardly seems apolitical. 
I don't see how you can prevent this congressional committee, one that is so important from becoming political when so many other committees that are way less important have become political. Okay, hold on. All right, I think we've reached a complete impasse. The arguments I was going to offer would just have taken us in circles again. So I think it's time to offer our closing statements. Um, if you guys have anything more to say about mine, we can swing back to, to discussing mine. I mean, we've made the same criticisms, we've made the same arguments. We just keep it's making time. fun of each other at this point, so... Yeah, it's... it's Jason, it's just... <laughs> I just... I, I can't get the image in my mind of, like, all the other justices sitting on the bench and that Jason's enlightened center is just sitting on his own brain. Okay, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, get, let's go to closing statements. Harry Huang, if you want to go first. Okay, I'll go first. I feel that the Supreme Court, as it is, has become politicized. And uh, I would propose that to select the Supreme Court justices, uh, this, to select the Supreme Court justices, we need to divorce them entirely from the political system. We ought to set up a rigid seniority system of judges uh, in the entire American judiciary who will ascend one by one through the court system all the way up to, up to the Supreme Court. It may not be the best, but it depoliticizes the system, which is the most important. However, I acknowledge that this does give undue influence to an unelected and unaccountable Supreme Court. So I would propose that, uh, uh, that the power of making constitutional amendments be given to the people and that constitutional amendments be, uh, be um, proposed via petition and approved via via a simple majority vote. Now, the seniority system isn't great, but it's surely better than what we've got now, and it's definitely better than just giving in to the politicians and turning the Supreme Court into a bunch of political hacks. Well, I think that the, uh, in my opinion, the Supreme Court will never be free entirely from political influence. And the best way to counteract that is indeed to isolate the court somewhat. What I would propose is a selection of there will be nine justices in which four justices will be uh, determined with uh, by each party with a list of candidates which will then go to a, a popular vote. And then the chief justice will <clears throat> be decided upon by a congressional commission who will consult with a a um, a, com a separate commission of 200 legal experts would then choose the most capable candidate for the position of chief justice or they will or in an alternative they will choose a list of candidates which then can then be voted on by popular vote in a referendum in in this way we ensure that the system is at least somewhat responsive to the people's wishes can keep up with the times as the candidates are selected by the people and that the influence is relatively constrained as they are still have infinite term limits so they don't really have to worry about political vagaries once they have been appointed all right so i guess then it's my turn <clears throat> There is this belief of a judiciary isolated, standing alone as the sole arbiter of justice in an imperfect world. But this, I simply cannot agree to. The fact of the matter is that the judiciary will become politicized, as it has before, and none of my opponent's solutions uh, can truly avoid this. And so I would say the true solution would be to force the judiciary to represent the interests of the people. Ten-year term limits. You only get one, and that's your one chance. They're democratically elected, and that's it. The reason I advocate for this is because I firmly believe in democracy above many other values. And the idea of creating a judiciary that is either unaccountable to the people or, un or accountable to the people only when they get a petition and then sort of and only the things that the people specifically choose in the petition. I do not believe that does justice to the fact that this court, regardless of how many reforms you implement, will have tremendous power. And I believe that any, in a country such as America, which tries to live up to such lofty ideals of freedom and democracy, the idea that such a powerful institution would be so completely irresponsible to the people it governs is abhorrent. So I advocate for a more democratic solution. All right. 
I think that's a wrap. <clears throat> All right. Uh, well, thank you for listening to this episode of The Roundtable. Um, as always, um, all episodes, including this one, are available on all major streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, and as always, uh, stay in, uh, stay healthy, stay safe. Um, may our wishes go to Justice Ginsburg's family.